0: Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place.
1: I'm Ken in Indiana.
0: And I am Jeremy from Utah.
1: Today we are answering the question, what makes a false teacher? Can we use the chart to help us identify who is a false teacher and apply that to our Christian lives?
0: Will, will I be called a false teacher at the, by, by the end of this episode because of our disagreements?
1: No spoilers.
0: Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The
1: most important of all
0: doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right, well... Uh it's going to be a fun conversation today. Uh I don't know if fun's the right word. An important conversation today. Uh on a complicated issue. But so before... excited
1: to call people heretics. Yes. <laughs>
0: that's right. Some people are. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's a big part of the problem. But uh before we get started, we do have a review. Ken, do you want to read this review that we got uh earlier this year?
1: Yes. This comes to us from A. Allen, 554, says, The chart, love it! I'm currently discerning a new church home due to modernism infiltrating my lifelong church. So I'm currently exploring different denominations, but was getting in the weeds with every little last bit of theology minutia. This chart and these guys really helped me get out of the weeds and open my heart even wider with like seven exclamation points I see there, (laughs) just for emphasis, I really think the chart can help all Christians really practice g- good, sound ecumenism, not a false kumbaya ecumenism. Praise be to God. Thank you, Alan, for that review. That's that's really encouraging to see how it has helped you, how this podcast, how this chart has helped you think through some of those issues and just and dis- helped you discern as you consider a new church home. Very sorry to hear about your lifelong church, though, drifting away from primary truth
0: yeah uh well and you know there were six exclamation points ken you said Uh. seven you are now labeled a false teacher uh (laughs) so (laughs) you uh i repent rejected a doctrine (laughs) that transcends hermeneutics Uh, Well, and and, you know, we should point this out too. At the time that this review was written, it was just before we released the new version of the chart. So if you don't Mm. have the new version of the chart, go to dotheology.com slash chart, get that new version. It's a lot of the same stuff, but it is more helpful. And we talked about that uh, in an earlier episode this season. But just a heads up on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, speaking of the chart... We use this chart as a paradigm, and today we're going to be using it as a paradigm for the conversation of what makes a false teacher. It's a very important aspect of uh, the application of the chart, particularly from the first column, Primary Doctrine. And we need to talk through this a little bit because it's a very nuanced issue. We wouldn't be able to write all this out on the chart itself. We have to have a conversation about it. And uh, that label, false teacher or heretic, that gets thrown around a lot. So we're going to see today if we can figure out a way to have a more objective biblical view of that term, uh, false teacher. So uh, how do we want to get started today, Kenneth?
1: Well, there's, there's a lot of resources out there that, that provide some, some good definitions and frameworks for how to understand false teaching and a false teacher, how to identify that. Uh, we want to make those available for you. We're going to put some links down in the show notes of this episode if you're listening on your phone, you got your app open, there'll be some links in there, uh, so definitely want to check those out. Resources from CARM.org, carm.org. it's a great resource for uh, all things, religion and false teaching and, and things of that nature, apologetics questions, gotquestions.org, and then also a article from one of our very own, Jeremy Howard, jeremyhoward.net. So, you want to definitely take advantage of those resources, and we're going to be kind of talking about some of the content of those articles, but also just kind of fleshing out how we apply the chart to help us work through this issue as well. So let's get a yeah. good definition for what is a false teacher. Let's start well, with that. Yeah,
0: maybe we won't have, uh, even by the end of the episode, I don't, I don't think we'll have a great, compact sentence for a definition. <laughs> but we can at least start throwing in some essential elements Uh, Mm -hmm. to the definition. So when we consider primary doctrine, as the chart says, these are the issues that define Christianity. And uh, we recognize that the gospel isn't the only definition for Christianity. Is the gospel the most important? Yes. (laughs) Right? Uh, We've said it before. If you're on a plane that's going down, you're the only Christian on board, you stand up to proclaim something to the plane full of people that are about to die, you're not going to say, let me show you my end times chart, right? (laughs) (laughs) And you're not going to say, let me share my personal conviction on music and other media. Uh, You are going to, hopefully, in a situation like that, proclaim that Jesus, uh, died according to the scriptures and he was buried and rose again, according to the scriptures, because that is what is of first importance, according to first Corinthians 15. Now with that said though, again, it's not the only definition of Christianity uh, because the Trinity, uh, if we're just going to take one doctrine out, the Trinity is definitional to Christianity. No other world religion has the triune God in view in their theology. Now, the Trinity won't make its way uh, into—the doctrine of the Trinity, that is—won't make its way into every gospel presentation. Uh, There's a lot of explanation uh, that's required. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something you need to grasp in order to be saved. However, it is definitional to Christianity. And having that view of the gospel is definitional, plus these other doctrines that are definitional. You don't have to know all of them to be saved, yet you can't reject any of them and call yourself orthodox. It's starting to have those thoughts in your head is going mm-hmm. to be really uh, essential to understanding what a false teacher is.
1: Yeah, and Scripture speaks directly to this issue, right? When with Scripture—there's all kinds of warnings throughout Scripture about— there will be false teachers among you, that, that they will come in as ravenous wolves. You know, there's these statements about these that they're false teachers that are going to exist, that have existed, that will exist, that do exist now, that we need to be on the alert for. And Scripture gives us some clear things to identify that helps us say, okay, if they are violating these particular things, this is very clearly that these individuals are false teachers. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and just to throw out there one of those pertinent Bible passages, it's Second uh, Peter 2, starting at mm-hmm. verse 1. Uh, he says, False prophets also rose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Now, that means, uh, the, the fact that Peter uses the word heresies, that means there was a concept of primary doctrine, <laughs> uh, because... There are items that a christian that Christians agree to disagree on, even in the New Testament in the book of Acts. We see that over and over again that doesn't mean they're pointing at each other and calling each other heretics mm-hmm. but here Peter, and this is one of the later letters of the New Testament. here Peter makes mention of heresies, meaning they had an understanding of what was non-negotiable hills that they were to die on, uh, things that were so clear in Scripture that you can't deny them and rightly be called a Christian. Uh, So that's an important passage in understanding how primary doctrine does exist, and it's existed since the time of the Apostles.
1: Yeah, and that word heresy uh, comes from the the same word that we get the word sect, or it's kind of a a break-off, an offshoot. Peter is identifying something that's clearly something different. Like, this is no longer Christianity, it's something different, it's a sect, it's something that is separated from biblical Christianity yeah so
0: yep indeed. so um, w- what are some elements that we find in the resources, uh, particularly carm.org and got questions uh, w- what are some elements that we find in there as we start to get a clearer picture of what makes a false teacher?
1: I think the the most fundamental issue is is a denial of the gospel, right the, the denial of the fundamental truths of Christianity that if you reject these things that are that are essential to the gospel that you are a false teacher if you deny that mankind is law is fallen is sinful if you deny that Jesus Christ is divine that he is god in human flesh if you deny that he is the Christ if you deny that that he came physically to earth and died on the cross for the sins of mankind if you deny that he rose again from the dead you are a false teacher and there is uh, scripture makes that abundantly clear that the issues that are central to the gospel are markers of a false teacher. Galatians chapter 1, verse 9 says, As we have said before, so I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Very strong statement from the Apostle Paul about the importance and the centrality of the gospel to the Christian life.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I've found is that every wayward movement, every false teacher uh, influential influential movement that's out there, they really seem to attack two things in particular um, right now. I I think historically there have been a wide variety of things that have been attacked. But it seems like right now, at least for the last couple hundred years in America specifically, there are two things. One is the unique nature of Christ, which mm. we have on the the chart as one of the elements of the Gospel message, you have to understand that Jesus is God <laughs> that gets messed up over and over again if it could be as sneaky as someone wanting to deny the virgin birth, maybe saying, uh, "Yeah, there was something special about him, but he wasn 't born of a virgin uh, and and so um you know, we're going to deny that miracle, but still hold to something special about Jesus. Or it could be as blatant as, "Well, Jesus is just a creature like the rest of us. He was created, and um, he is—he's a mere creature that was a good teacher." Right. Something, something mm-hmm. to that effect. Now, the other one that gets attacked all the time is actually outside of the gospel message, and that's the Bible—the um, mm-hmm. inerrancy and authority of Scripture. So, for example, people know I'm here in Utah dealing with Mormons all the time. Uh, These two issues are front and center in dialogue with Latter-day Saints. You know, they believe that with the Bible, many plain and precious things had been removed through translations. And that's why you need the Book of Mormon to supplement all those things that were taken out of the Bible. And then, of course, with the Book of Mormon comes all their other stuff. But uh, they're not the only group that says that. (laughs) There are lots and lots of groups that say that. And that, by definition, makes them wayward or false, even though biblical inerrancy isn't an aspect of the gospel message. So uh, things can get hairy in this conversation, and, and we're, we're going to go there here in a minute. But for the moment, that, that's important to understand. If you look at a cult, uh, in a, especially in America, again, in the last couple hundred years, they're all going to attack those two things, the mm-hmm. unique nature of Christ and the Bible itself.
1: Yeah, and, and as we've talked about even just some of those things, you know, I hope your mind is even going – if you've listened to the Alicia Childers interview that came out last week, you're going to be hearing some things about some things that are going on in progressive Christianity that they deny some of these fundamental core truths of the gospel message and primary doctrine – and that's, that's a significant thing. Like, we can't just say, oh, progressive Christianity, yeah, they're not right, but, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. These, they, they are preaching a different gospel. Paul would say that they are accursed. That's a very strong statement to make, but it is what Scripture says, and we stand on the truth of Scripture. And so we identify them as false teachers based on that.
0: Now, there's another element uh, when it comes to identifying false teachers outside of what they teach, but someone can actually be a heretic by how that person lives. Yeah the the issue of character. So uh, how would you go about explaining this, Ken? When it comes to someone, I mean, we understand you know to be an elder in a local church, there are character qualifications. Mm-hmm. But just because someone's disqualified from being an elder. Uh, that doesn't mean that person's a false teacher, right? There are many men in churches across America who aren't qualified to be elders, but that doesn't mean they're false teachers. So what kind of character issues actually elevate their status from uh, just not qualified to be an elder to you are an active heretic?
1: Yeah, so there are two books of the Bible that spend a significant amount of time dealing with exactly that. And if, if you were to read through the books of Jude and 2 Peter Peter and Jude spend so much of their time talking about the character of the individuals. And we, we referenced that passage from 2 Peter chapter 2 earlier about how, you know, there's these false prophets that are coming up and they're secretly bringing in destructive heresies. And he says, denying the master who bought them. But then the rest of the chapter is less about the teachings of these false teachers, and it has more to do with how they are living, their their character, their lives, their, their morality and there's the issue of greed they are preaching and they are teaching but they are doing it for monetary gain they are selfishly accumulating wealth to themselves through their so-called ministry peter says you got to watch out for these individuals they live a licentious lifestyle they are engaged in sexual immorality and and peter identifies them as they're not even shy about it it's they they are even flippant about that and yet because uh, maybe because they're just such eloquent speakers, or, or other reasons, people are willing to follow after them, despite the character flaws that are present within their lives. And so those are those are two major warning signs. If if someone is enriching themselves off of the ministry, and if they are living in, in just blatant sexual immorality or other sins of that nature. Those are two really significant things that should alert us, saying, okay, <laughs> this is a false teacher. This is not a man who is is caring for the flock. This is not someone who is shepherding the flock, but he's abusing and fleecing the flock, and that is that is a false teacher.
0: Yeah, in Second Peter, uh, Peter refers to these people as unreasoning animals. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> just a strong term. That's a... Uh, Martin Luther probably really likes Saint Peter <laughs> yeah. too, um, and he also says they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Yeah, uh, I think what's at the heart of all of this, and, and again, it's not saying necessarily that everybody who is like this is a false teacher, but every false teacher has this, which is um, there's no submission there uh, mm. to. Anybody else? There's no submission to a local church. There's no submission to wisdom. There's no submission to the Word of God. When someone is living that way, they have no accountability. They have uh, there's no trust. Yeah. And um, these people who are self-willed, you know, again, not being self-willed, that's a qualification for an elder. So it's possible for someone to be self-willed and to just simply be disqualified from leadership in a local church, and then be in submission to the leaders of the local church, be in submission, most importantly, to the Word of God, and be willing to change and want to change and grow in that area. It's a whole other thing entirely when that person is Mm self-willed and goes out and says, I don't care what anybody else says, I don't care what Scripture says, I'm going to go out and have my own movement and seek control over people because that person... Uh, is self-willed. That's the only desire, really, that that person has. At the end of the day, that makes that person a heretic by action. Yes. Um, in addition to what that person may be teaching.
1: And the remarkable thing about this is, you know, so many times I think, you know, people, when we start talking about false teachers and think, oh, you know, it's the way Peter describes it and the way Jude describes it, it's like, well, these people should be obvious. Like we should, we should hmm. see this. Like this, this should be obvious to us. And yet the deception is still present. And and Jude and uh, Peter, they both talk about that deception. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, And no wonder for even Satan himself disguises, or excuse me, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Hmm. And so there is a deceptive element in the midst of this. And and I feel like I've encountered this at different points. I was having a conversation with an individual who was attending a church that I would identify as a false church, and a pat- who's underneath a pastor that I would say is a false teacher on the basis of primary doctrine and what Scripture says. And I was challenging him about, okay, you know, these are the things that the Bible says to look out for in a false teacher. The false teaching is there. And the concern for the character issues are there, and you've admitted that. Why are you still there? And his response was that he can't deny the fruit of what he has seen come about in this person's ministry. Therefore, he's going to continue attending this church and being a part of that because, well, it's he's, he's producing fruit. Hmm. And so that is so common that we can get so caught up in... Well, there's, there's good things happening, though. I'm seeing lives changed. I'm seeing these different great things happen. How could it possibly be that this person is a false teacher? Because of deception. Because that deceptive reality is there, and we are called to not examine the, the results of someone's ministry as if that is the only qualification that Scripture gives. No, scripture gives so much more qualifications and things to look at and doctrine is one of those things, and this man failed that test, and character is another one of those things, and that man was failing that test as well. But it was not enough to convince this individual to leave that church because of deception. So we need to be on the alert. We need to watch out for these things. These these are things that we have to be—that's as as, why Scripture commands us to be alert, because these things are so deceptive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Deception is the word— um, You know, earlier in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is talking about Satan disguising himself as an angel of light. And he says that he fears for them, that they Mm -hmm. they might be deceived like Eve and be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's something all of us have to be aware of. None of us are exempt. None of us is exempt. None of us are exempt. I need my wife here to (laughs) tell me which one is right. I always always mess that up. we're not exempt from, from that sort of deception. We have to be on the alert. And when you think about uh, the church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter two, mm. where you know, the, the famous line, "You've lost your first love," uh, it says that the, Jesus speaking to this church, "I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men." And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. Okay, good for them. They have called out uh, these false teachers. And you have had perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. Amen. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Hmm. So by, on paper, when it comes to spotting out false teachers, doctrinally, they were spot on. But this whole how we live our lives and our simple pure devotion to Christ—they had lost, and that's a different type of false teacher, but still a false teacher. Someone who might look good on paper, but with his life is rejecting his Savior.
1: And this is this is so dangerous for for the false teachers, right? The you know Jesus talks about how it would be better if a millstone was hung around your neck and you drown in the ocean than to lead one of God's little ones astray. So it is, it is, it is a frightening thing to consider that, you know, you know from, from our standpoint, we were like, oh, we've got this doctrine chart. You know, we're, we, we're all squared <laughs> away on this. We're good to go. But we're you, dispensationalists yeah. like Jesus. <laughs>
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but if we don't watch ourselves, <laughs> you derailed a serious point, man. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, but in all seriousness, the, the point of, of keeping watch over our own character is critical in the midst of this. And when we fail on the point of character, how many people have abandoned the faith and left the church because they felt betrayed and let down yeah. by a moral failing of someone that they revered? You know, that that is such a significant thing that, that the people, leaders who fail in that way have to give an account to God, not only for their own actions, but for the... Impact that it had upon God's church, and that mm-hmm. is a frightening reality. Absolutely. So
0: now, um, thinking, uh, I hope we're all on the same page with this. I mean, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at show at dotheology um, We would love to explore this more if, if needed. But hopefully, we're all on the same page with more moral failings or just living your life as someone who has no regard for the Word of God or the counsel of God's people. That also makes you a false teacher. I, th- I think we can all grasp that. But now getting back to the doctrine aspect on paper, what what can you disagree with and still be orthodox? What, what Where's the line on, okay, if you, if you cross that doctrinally, now you're officially a heretic. Can we start to nail that down a little bit? Uh, what do you think?
1: This is where things begin to get a little more difficult, doesn't it? It's, yeah, I'd say um, a lot <laughs> of it difficult. <laughs> Understatement of the year. Yeah, so we've got, you know, as, as we've defined things in this chart, you know, we've, we have stressed the issue of hermeneutics and how the primary doctrines are things that transcend hermeneutics. And so often when people approach, you know, dividing things into primary and secondary the natural inclination is to make the dividing line uh, a point of
0: salvation, right? Where... So whether whether you listen to James White or not determines whether you're
1: saved. Basically. The dividing line. The dividing line. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and so it, we're not trying to, to, to make that that kind of delineation. And this is something that you know, as, as we wrestle with this this topic of, of heretics and heresy and salvation, in our first episode of this season, um, when we, I guess it's the first episode of, of Jeremy and I talking, not one of our interviews, uh, when we talked about the issue of primary doctrine and what that means, one distinction that I think maybe we failed to bring out is that we are not saying that... Necessarily, these issues impact your. And this is where things get so tricky. Just to start trying to articulate it, these things absolutely can have an impact upon your personal salvation, especially the matters of the gospel. You deny gospel things. Yes, I am going to question the the reality of your salvation. But there are elements within primary doctrine, even though these things transcend hermeneutics may or may not necessarily impact your justification before God. And and that's, only God knows that. And only God knows that, and that's where things get hairy. Now, we, so we can
0: say someone who rejects the gospel message at any level, all those things that are essential to the gospel message, anybody who rejects that, we can say, you are going to hell. Yes. Uh, it, we, we don't say only God knows. We say God has allowed his people to know through through his word, through his revelation to us. He has allowed us to know that those who deny Jesus as Lord, those who, who do not confess their sins and ask for forgiveness on the merits of Christ alone, we know that those mm-hmm. people are not going to heaven. That's why evangelism exists, right? right yeah, because we we have a calling. it is necessary that we go out and share the gospel because objectively they
1: are not going to heaven and that's again that's we and that statement stands on the objective teaching of Scripture, as Paul says in Galatians, we reference that passage, let him be a curse if anyone has a different gospel. John in first John chapter two says, if anyone denies that Jesus is the Christ, that's the spirit of the antichrist right that's mm-hmm. that's a big deal, so yes and,
0: but not only the gospel message elements are objective in scripture. We have other doctrines that are objectively true in scripture that transcend our Bible study methods, that transcend our interpretive framework, like the Trinity. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the, the fact that uh, God is one, that God is three, and that all three are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on their own, 100% God. That is clear in scripture. Uh, the the inerrancy of Scripture is clear in Scripture. It teaches its own inerrancy, that Jesus will return in bodily form in the future. That is clear in Scripture. So you have have these items, those aren't the only ones, but you have these items that are objective. They transcend hermeneutics, yet they're not part of the gospel message. So if someone rejects one of those doctrines, does that person necessarily become Hellbound. We're saying only God knows that person's mm. heart. If that person believes the gospel and rejects one of those things, only God knows their heart, <clears throat> knows their heart. But we're saying there's a cause for concern. There's yes. a red flag that's raised. And we, we're not going to confidently say, oh yeah, you're our brother. We're going to say, have you, have you studied this? We're going to open the Bible. We're going to show it to you. And if you continue to reject it, we're going to pray for you right
1: yeah um, and we are saying and be concerned we are saying that they have objectively left Christianity even if we aren't making a statement about the condition of their soul right?
0: so let's so let's flesh that out uh, CS Lewis wasn't a Christian right <laughs>
1: <laughs> and people listening go like what I love CS Lewis yeah yeah but
0: you... Well, well, what are c. s. Lewis's problems? Why, why would I even bring that up
1: yeah c. s. Lewis had an unorthodox understanding of the doctrine of scripture. He denied inerrancy that's It's kind of a big deal <laughs> yeah yeah it's... yeah and, and, and what we are saying at a
0: base level is you have left orthodox Christianity mm-hmm. if you deny the inerrancy of scripture.
1: Yeah now. but
0: we're also saying you can hold that position and still go to heaven. Because believing in the inerrancy of Scripture isn't believing in the gospel. Mm.
1: And we would say that he's denying inerrancy in, in, in an inconsistent way with other biblical truths that he would affirm. Yeah, because he relies on the Bible for that very gospel message he exactly. believed. Exactly, exactly. So and that's, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and this is where I think... Um, I think I remember listening to Phil Johnson talk about C.S. Lewis at one point, and I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, and maybe I shouldn't be bringing it up because I can't remember exactly, <laughs> but he identified this as a, a, a heresy issue, and he identified C.S. Lewis, I believe, as a heretic in this regard. I don't know if he made a statement whether or not it was damnable heresy or not, but I have to look that up. I'm about to do a little do a little research on that, refresh my memory. But Yeah, and yeah. you
0: just used the term... Damnable heresy. Something that I've taught before is that there is a difference between heresy and damnable heresy. Damnable heresy meaning you are a heretic in such a way that you will go to hell. Mm -hmm. Heresy... Uh, the, it needs an adjective before it, uh, not regular heresy. Yeah. Uh, heresy light. Heresy Maybe light. Adjective <laughs>
1: after it. Lowercase <laughs> h, heresy.
0: Yeah, there you go. Um, it would be someone for like C.S. Lewis, who obviously was a believer in the gospel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously. Yeah. Right? Uh, but held to a heretical view of scripture. Um, so there you go.
1: That's what we mean when things can get hairy. <laughs> And there's there's quite a few people in history that, that would kind of fit in this category, right? I've, yeah, yeah. If you've ever done any digging into the life of Bonhoeffer, like, oh, whew, that guy had some really whacked out views of of scripture and, yeah. and a variety of things. Yeah, because he's based on Karl Barth. Yeah. Uh, and there's another one, yeah. Karl Barth. What do you
0: do with Karl Barth? <laughs> right? One of the greatest minds in Christian history.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so how do we how do we wrestle with this? Only God knows their heart right mm-hmm. we we can't we can't make that judgment and that determination i, I mean e- even augustine going all the way back mm. have you heard his teaching
0: on the uh the parable of the good samaritan i have not so he got you know later in life as he developed uh origen's view of hermeneutics this whole uh like third level of spiritual insight mm. in reading scripture you know augustine was making all kinds of things metaphorical that were not supposed to be metaphorical and in the the good samaritan parable at one point in his life augustine taught that the donkey represented something and uh in the the story and the um the inn where the um, the man was taken the inn represented something and it was all actually a, a metaphor of the gospel all the way down to the tiniest little elements of the story because everything represented something that was tied directly to the the sacrifice of Christ now you okay you hear that and it's like okay i'm glad that he believed the gospel but you're mangling the text of scripture yeah. you're using it in a way that god did not intend it to be used so that is a, a, a bad thing. That hermeneutic has big issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now whether or not we elevate that to calling him a heretic, which I, I'm not going to, um, but, but we can see how it's a very big issue yes. that would definitely have at least one foot in the primary doctrine area. Because if you applied that hermeneutic consistently to all of Scripture, you can make anything
1: say anything. Yeah. And it's, your interpretation is only limited by your imagination. Yeah. And that's problematic. So
0: as we think through these things, we need to be very careful about how we talk of others who we disagree with. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've said this before on secondary issues. We don't want to elevate a secondary issue to primary in such a way that we call people on the other side of the Calvinism debate or on the other side of the sign gifts debate, we don't want to call those people heretics just because they disagree with us on that one issue. Right. And so I'm going to play a little clip for you, uh, oh and see how, how you respond to this. This is a clip from Andrew Sandlin. I saved it when I first heard it, uh, that he was speaking at reform con 2019 that the Apologia gang, uh, hosted down there in Phoenix. And, uh, Andrew Sandlin's a Reformed guy through and through. This video has since been taken down. I couldn't Hmm. find it anywhere, so I'm glad I saved this clip when I did. But listen to what he says about those with whom he disagrees. A new version of Christianity, and uh, we often call it dispensationalism. Through the Schofield Reference Bible and many Bible colleges and a few seminaries, Uh, Like Dallas and Grace, as well as TV and radio Bible teachers, this version of the faith has infected almost every sector of Protestant, certainly evangelical, not so much the Lutherans, but most sectors of Protestant Christianity. A new version of Christianity, dispensationalism. Uh, That
1: pretty much is him saying... Dispensationalists are false teachers, right? It sure sounds like it. Yeah, that is. I had not heard that before. So, wow, that is um, big talk. Big talk. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so how how should we talk uh, about those with whom we disagree? When, at what point should we feel comfortable calling someone a false teacher? Um, should we? How reserved should we be in using this type of language?
1: Well, I definitely, you know. It, where scripture identifies things clearly. I'm having no no qualms about identifying people who violate the gospel, violate the nature of Christ, those things that scripture speaks very clearly to, no qualms about identifying them as false teachers, individuals who are living lives for their own selfish gain, living lives of hypocrisy or sexual immorality of different kinds. No problem with any of that. It does get more difficult once we start getting into some of these other things Uh you know, the, I think the issue of, uh, modalism is a question. I, mean, I shouldn't even mm-hmm. be bringing that up at this point in the conversation. No, no, no,
0: you can. I've got a couple I want to bring up and throw at you.
1: Okay. So. Well, modalism, you know, that's a, a denial of the orthodox understanding of the Trinity as scripture yeah. reveals it to be, but mm-hmm. are modalists saved? Right. And in the, in the reason why this is m- more of
0: a borderline issue, uh, than say a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or someone Mm -hmm. like that is because modalists believe in the full deity of Jesus Christ. Right. And the full deity of the Holy Spirit. What they deny is the simultaneous aspect of Father, Son, and Spirit. They believe God's name is Jesus, and he presented himself in the Old Testament as the Father. He presented himself on earth uh, by his name, Jesus, and then he... uh, Through the Holy Spirit, God's omnipresence, they believe God is omnipresence, they believe he now um, can appear, I shouldn't say appear to us, help us in the mode of spirit Mm -hmm. as the Holy Spirit. And they deny that Father, Son, and Spirit have existed from all eternity simultaneously. So uh, believing in the full deity of each person is key. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then denying the simultaneous aspect, does that elevate them to being hellbound, uh, boy? Yeah, it's a tough one. That is so, a tough one. I mean, so we can comfortably say heretics, as far as small h heretics, absolutely. But damnable, damnable heretics, it may depend. It it may depend. It may depend. I mean, in the vast majority of cases, it does seem like they don't understand the gospel. This view goes hand in hand with baptismal regeneration, believing you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Right. And a whole bunch of other issues. I I don't know if there's anybody who would articulate the gospel biblically and also hold to modalism. So that's a sign for you (laughs) right there. Um, But there could be cases
1: where someone is just simply uninformed where conceivably oh yeah. oh absolutely yeah and that is and that's key and we'll
0: come back to that in a minute with my dome illustration right. but um to throw a couple other borderline issues at you uh are you comfortable saying that people who believe you can lose your salvation are heretics hmm. i've had this one asked uh, of me before when i've sent the chart along and it's not on there anywhere. Right. Whether whether once saved, always saved, or whatever, isn't on there, uh, if you're a good Calvinist perseverance of the saints. Um, yeah, we don't have it on the chart, because where
1: do you put that one? <laughs> that is a tough one, really, because yeah. there, there are certainly implications that come with that doctrine that yeah. do violate the primary doctrine issues, for sure. Yes. But most... People, I think, that hold to that doctrine probably would deny those implications. Yes. Which makes it all the more difficult.
0: Now, well, here's one that we have on our chart, so we, we can leave that one in the dust uh, and not let it settle. <laughs> uh, one that we have on our chart is gender roles. So egalitarians, those people who
1: believe women can be pastors, um, heretics? It's certainly small-h heretics, and then the big H, the, the damnable heresy part. I think we talked about this with um, with Toby Sumter a little bit back in season two, and uh, he referenced this a little bit about how uh, it, it's certainly one of those slippery slope doctrines that yeah. it usually doesn't come along all by itself. Because in order to arrive at an egalitarian position, you also f- begin to fudge with the doctrines of biblical inerrancy and authority, and different, and that leads to other distortions along the way that eventually you are going to distort gospel issues that do lead to damnable heresy. But in germ form, mm, yeah, (laughs) it's a lot harder to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, think of your average layperson just going to a church that has, uh, and this is huge right now there are lots of people who are involved in churches where husband and wife but they're called pastors our lead pastors mm. uh ted and karen smith you know um okay that is not right that is a rejection of a doctrine that transcends hermeneutics but then you've got your average layperson who was raised in a baptist church finds himself in a in a bigger city this church has a great youth program and a good band and he's going there and uh you know he's a Christian who's got his priorities messed up, right? Yeah. Uh, man, I, I don't know. It, it's tough stuff.
1: It is. So we. So the bottom line with all of that is, we do have to be careful, right? And, yeah. and we want to not just. Put everybody on blast just for the sake of putting everybody on blast. But we we want to approach individuals, especially with a attitude of grace, and seeking to see where they're truly at. If this is a a principled decision that that they have come to, or if this is just, well, they they were taught this and they never actually thought it through and the implications of it all and where it mm-hmm. leads and and things of that nature. We wanna we wanna approach those with an yes. attitude of grace while recognizing that. These are significant issues. Like we're not again, we're not trying to diminish these things and say, "Well, they're little h heresy, so it's not that important." Right. No. <laughs> yeah, these we're are important. we're
0: actually uh, creating a secondary doctrine in the middle of primary doctrine. Right. That's not what we're trying to do. Yeah. These things are all are all primary. They're just not all gospel. Right. Yes. So as, as you're talking about those who just maybe need to be more educated on the on the issues. When we, before we started this podcast, we were going to write a book and hopefully we still will one day, someday, uh, a book that's all about this stuff. And one of the illustrations I threw out there that I came up with in a time of inspiration, (laughs) because I, I don't read fiction. I never have read fiction. Even as an elementary school student, I hated reading fiction. Uh, but this fictitious type of scene came into my head as an illustration for what we're talking about. So, listener, if you're not driving, close your eyes and let me take you onto a journey to the dome. The dome. Uh, so, imagine you're walking up, you're outdoors, and you're walking up to this huge building. It looks like a, a half golf ball that's just resting on the ground. That's huge. and This big domed building. And there's only one door that you see. There's a walkway leading up to the door. And on that door that enters into the dome is inscribed the gospel. And you've got you know, John fourteen six written on there. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, you've got the simplicity of the gospel message, understanding that you're a sinner, that Jesus is your Savior, and you can be justified by faith alone and you believe, and you enter into the building. You have now been saved and become a member of the capital B body of Christ that is all over the world. And in this huge dome building, you see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. just all mingling. You are in the Christian world. And perhaps uh, this is what it's felt like for you. If you've become a Christian, especially recently, you can kind of remember what it's like getting to know the Christian world. And, and that's what's happening in this building. But then once you're in there, it's very well-lit. It's a very well-lit uh, room. You start seeing doors in the inside of the dome that are all around. And on one of the doors, it says um, the it says biblical inerrancy. On another door, it says uh, future judgment of man. On another door, it says the Trinity. On another door, it says the necessity of baptism. On another door, it says... Uh, God-defined sexuality. And you have all these topics that are primary doctrinal issues on all these doors. And if you were to deny one of those doctrines as it's biblically defined, you would actually be leaving the dome, which represents Christianity, Orthodox biblical Christianity. You would be exiting that sphere and um. Where the illustration, of course, breaks down is, well, do you lose your salvation? No. If you're saved, you're saved. If God has done that work in your heart, he's going to keep you until the day of redemption. Uh, but there is an aspect in which you're walking away from Christianity. Mm. And and that's how uh, I started to to type through that and think through this issue of primary doctrine and heresy. You never really liked that illustration, though, Ken. Broke my heart. <laughs>
1: Sorry. <laughs> well, it is. It, it can be helpful though to to understand the reason why I always kind of had an issue with it was the uh, what you just said there at the end about how it breaks down yeah. about like well how are we actually saying about what this means for a person's salvation? So no, and there's a back yeah.
0: door to the whole building that some people sneak into who become a part of the church who never really entered through that gospel door. Hmm. There you go. That's That fixes the illustration. <laughs> but does <laughs> uh, it, though? <laughs> well, but we know. First John, they yes. went out from us because they never were of us, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So um, that, yeah, maybe I should develop that illustration more.
1: Yeah, we can explore that. That'd be good. So bottom line as we wrap up this conversation, as we think through this, this complex topic there are certain things in Scripture that are very crystal clear that absolutely a yeah, denial of these things will result in you burning in hell, and we, that's a very very sad thing, a very sober thing, and we want to approach those things as such. And there are a variety of, of other doctrines that are key primary doctrines. They are found foundational, they are fundamental, they are definitional to the Christian faith, the denial of those things may or may not be bellwethers of your genuine belief in Christ. I like that word, huh? Oh, well, bellwethers. Look at look at you breaking out the dictionary. Yeah, I'm digging deep in my vocabulary for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so when we when we see someone who is erring on these issues, again, only God knows people's hearts. But it does it does raise causes for concern, and we want to explore those things to find out the reasons why some, someone might be holding to these errant positions and see if we cannot bring them back to biblical Christianity, Orthodox mm-hmm. Christianity, and help them think through those issues better.
0: And if you are just a layperson going to a church somewhere, uh, an active member of a church, you might be wondering, at what point do I... Mm leave. I mean, where does my confidence level need to be if I think my pastor is a false teacher that I need to jump ship? I, you know, I'd say if your confidence level rises above 0%, it's time to start looking. Uh, and now you now you need to be make, you need to make sure that you have right judgments mm. that you're applying to that. But there if you have any suspicion at all that your pastor is a false teacher, it's time to find a new church and find a new pastor because there shouldn't be a concern for that. But I'll say that with an asterisk, meaning talk to him first.
1: If
0: there's, a, you could be misunderstanding something. Maybe you misheard something. Maybe he misspoke. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's, all kinds of things could be yep. going on. Never just leave a church without talking to anybody. But that is when, I mean, just if it's over 0% that's the time when you need to be having serious conversations. It's serious if it's over, if your confidence level is over 0%. Yeah,
1: and that's, having those conversations is a a critical step in that. Uh, You know, I can remember a time early on as I was just getting my feet wet in teaching and how it was not uncommon for me to stumble over my words even more than I do now. And there would be times where I would be praying and then, I would sit down and I would think through that prayer and be like, I just prayed heresy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because my. I would pray something that's like, uh, that would confuse the issues of the Trinity and things like that with with the way yes, I would you, pray. you prayed in the
0: name of the generic monotheistic God <laughs> whom some call Bra- Brahma. <laughs> and you said, yeah. a woman. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Nothing quite like that.
0: <laughs> but, you know, just yeah. a, a simple myth. Mis- misspeaking. Anybody could make that mistake. Yeah.
1: Thanking God the Father for dying on the cross for our sins. You know, it's just silly things like that, that I did not, I wasn't intending to speak heresy, but I was, I was, it was certainly wrong because God the Father did not die on the cross. God the Son died on the cross. And so things like that, you know, gratefully I was in a situation where people were charitable towards me and did not, uh, did not kick me out of the church and revoke my membership for that, but you know, if that sort of thing happens, and so you do want to approach you know, individuals that you're concerned about their theology, concerned about maybe they misspoke something, have that conversation, get that clarity before jumping ship.
0: Yes, so on the one hand, take it take the what you consider maybe the smallest infraction of primary doctrine take take that mm. very seriously mm-hmm. on the other hand, show charity and give that person. Uh, space to talk through it with you and explain himself or herself. Uh, So that way you can just make the best wise decision in your relationships, in your church, uh, in whatever situation you might find yourself in. Yes. Amen. All right. Well, I hope this conversation was helpful. Again, rate, review, share, all that stuff if this has been helpful. Uh, please show us show us the love that way. We're not asking for your money. We're just asking for a thumbs up on social media or a, a star rating on a podcast app. That would be great. And until next time, theology. Nope, that's not the sound it makes anymore. Alas.